If you wonder where is 2 Kings, it's right after 1 Kings. That's how you can find it. Uh, 2 Kings 15 is where we're at. Um, while you're turning there, I'll share a couple of things, some stuff that's going on. Um, just first of all, good morning. It's good to be with you guys. I look forward to this. It's so fun to be with you, talk through scriptures together. Um, I'm just excited for today. Uh, listen, a couple things. I mentioned this last week, so this is more of an announcement, but um, I was just talking to some kids ministry volunteers. They're like, can you announce it again? I'm like, yes, uh, we need some help in the kids ministry. It's a good problem. The kids ministry is growing and you guys are having babies. This is amazing. Uh, but we could use some help in that uh, area. So we need, from my understanding, about 10 people who could serve at least once a month. That would be amazing. Um, our hope is that every volunteer could serve in kids like once a month, because if you serve twice a month, you're only in here half the year. Um, we would love to just space it out a little bit better. So um, I kind of want to do like an auction. Do we have one volunteer? We need two. How about three? We just need some people. Um, so I think we need like eight to 10. Uh, please just, uh, yeah, pray through that. Consider that. That would be a huge blessing. I know they're like, please, please, we need help in kids. It's a good problem. We would love to have you help out in that way. Um, here's something I want to share with you guys, update you guys on, and just celebrate with you guys. God is so good this way. I'm excited about this. So you guys know that uh, we as a church a couple months ago, or yeah, a month and a half ago, we went to Guatemala. We brought a team there. Um, we have partnered with a ministry called Life Song in the past. Life Song has different kind of orphanages and things like that around the globe. We did one in Haiti. Uh, Haiti's been kind of off limits for a while now. Pray for Haiti. Um, so we participated in a trip to Guatemala. Um, we got to kind of hear the vision of what's going on there, hear their 10-year plan, 15-year, like kind of hear what is going on. Um, it is so sweet what the Lord is doing over there in Guatemala. Uh, at the Village of Hope, they basically provide housing for moms um, in different kind of situations, um, you know, and it, their hope is just to love on them, and they have actually Christian-based therapy. They provide housing, food, education. Um, they're trying to teach them different trades, which is so cool to see that. Like, so once they turn 18, have to leave, hopefully they've been taught in some sort of trade. Um, so here's what their, their hope is. They have a plot of land next to the property, and uh, they're hoping to build, I believe, 12 to 15 tiny homes for the moms who transition out. And so the thought is we want, they want to have some homes for moms turn 18, maybe can't be there, but they can go next door, have their own little living space with their kids. Um, so they want to build 12 to 15. Right now, we, we got to go there and pray over the plot. It's just like empty, an empty plot with some trees. Um, but the hope is they'll start building these as early as next year. And so, um, man, this is really sweet. Just be, because of your guys' generosity and the grace of God, um, we're able to help support in that way. So here's the idea. A tiny home costs 12500 and we had a board meeting, we talked and prayed and um, got to hear from you guys. Here's what we're going to do as a church. We're going to pay for one tiny home and hopefully help assist another one. So the church has dedicated $15,000 to give to these tiny homes, which is just so cool. That's like Jesus and that's, can we, yeah, we can clap for Jesus and you guys and the grace of God. It's so cool to see something like that happen and to actually have something like permanent um, there. So we're going to uh, this year give them $15,000. We're going to pay for one tiny home raise funds 2500 for another one, and we're going to actually put this up for you guys. We're going to try to raise 10000 more and get two tiny homes for them. Um, so we're going to put that on our website under Push Pay. You can give to the church. The building fund you'll see also in Guatemala Village of Hope. Uh, the hope is to get that 10000 before the end of the year and provide two tiny homes for them. Uh, talking to Todd Proctor, he's the one who runs Village of Hope. Um, they're going to start you know, actually building as soon as early next year. He said, we have a trip planned for April of next year, April 21st, to the 27th. We just got the details and the dates like set in stone. Um, so we will be there April 21st. He said on that trip, they're going to do their best to arrange it um, to actually let us help build that home. 
Um, so if so, what he basically wanted me to you know, point out is if you know electrical, plumbing, if you do, I don't know, concrete, anything like that, um, this is like the trip. This is the perfect trip. There's still going to be things and we're doing for the kids and for the community. So this is not just for builders, um, but one element will be building. Um, so I want to make sure you guys are aware of that. First of all, that is so cool. That is so humbling. Um, you know, he's like, wait, how is your like your church is a you know it's not that big of a church. You know, it's just sweet. It's just cool to be able to do this, you guys. So I just want to say thank you to Jesus and thank you to you guys because um uh, we get to actually have something that has hopefully long term support um for moms and hopefully five years, ten years, fifteen years from now go back and see a couple tiny homes uh, for these moms, which is just so cool. Again, can we just say thank you to Jesus because that is just like it's humbling to be part of that with you guys. Very excited. So um. Here's what we're, we're going to, you know, make sure you guys know this. If you want to go on our website, you can see Guatemala. You can actually sign up for that now. Like, registration is live, technically. We just made all this available. So if you want to go to Guatemala, if you want to build, if you know how to build, um, it, I know it's like April next year sounds far. I know. It's, time will fly. Ten months to raise funds, all that stuff. Um, so we're going April. We're going to help hopefully build one, if not two, tiny homes over there and do what we did this year as well and love on the kids. So very cool. Very excited. Very thankful for Jesus and his grace, right? So cool. Anyways, I thought you guys would like, that's exciting to me. Um, we're in 2 Kings 15. 2 Kings 15. We're also going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And for extra credit, if you want to turn there now, Philippians 3. Um, let me kind of explain what we're doing, where we're at. Uh, we actually, I was like, just, you know, finished laying this out. We will be done with this series on prophets and kings. I think there's seven more Sundays after this week. We will finish. Can you believe that? Year and a half later, we went through first and second Samuel, first and second Kings. Uh, Mid-August, we should be done with second Kings. And watch me extend it to like November, but mid-August, uh, we should be done. Uh, this has been fun. This has been exciting. We've been looking at stories you really don't look at very often in the scriptures, and we've been seeing how these stories communicate an element or just the gospel in some capacity. Uh, and it deals with some issue or some kingdom idea. It's powerful. Um, so let me kind of explain in case you are new or newer where we're at. And I hope this makes sense. And I hope you kind of can see the Old Testament in a big picture way. So you guys know the kingdom of Israel. You had Saul, then David, then Solomon. After Solomon, the kingdom of Israel broke into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was called Israel, that's a trick question. The southern kingdom was called Judah. You had the majority of the tribes in the north, 10. You had two primarily in the south, and you had it split into two kingdoms. Jeroboam was the king of Israel. Uh, Rehoboam, who was like the grandson of David, took over. He was of the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, through this, and we'll put, the t we'll put this up here, there's about close to 19 to 20 kings uh, per kingdom. Um, this expands over a few hundred years. The reason why I want you to see this, in the northern kingdom last week, we looked at it basically Elisha's death. Not basically, it was Elisha's death. We looked at how Elisha met with Jehoash or Joash. He met with him. He spoke over him. Uh, if you missed last week's message, go back. He's basically saying, keep going. Don't give up. If there's more fuel in the tank, use it. Keep going. Elisha and Elijah primarily ministered in the northern kingdom of Israel, so we just looked at Elisha's death last week. Here's why, uh, if you see here, I think they should be bold. And from Jeroboam to the king Pekah, um, we're going to see these kings, uh, a couple of them only reigned for a couple of months. I mean, not very long. But during these kings' reign, we're going to focus on today the southern kingdom with King Uzziah or King Azariah. He's a fascinating king. Uh, we'll put that up here. He reigned for 52 years, so he reigned during those five other kings. If you could put back up the northern kingdom of Israel really quick, here's something I want you to see. If you ever look at the Old Testament and you're like, this is just so big, 
Like, who, who, what king was where during what kingdom? Who was the prophet during this time? If you want to, like, put in your notes, Jeroboam II, the first king, number 13, right there. Jeroboam II through Pekah. You see the, the prophet Hosea. You see Jonah and Amos. If you're wondering, like, where was Jonah at? Jonah is mentioned in 2 Kings 14.25. Jonah was a prophet during, the king, during King Jeroboam II's reign. You have Hosea who is constantly calling the northern kingdom of Israel, come back to God. You're like a wife who left her husband, and the husband's in pursuit of you. God's in pursuit of you. God loves you. It's fascinating. I'm bringing this up because it's fascinating as we walk through these stories of the kings and the prophets to know these other books, like Amos, like Hosea, were written during this time. Like Jonah, going to Nineveh. It was during this period that we're in right now. Now, if you want to go down to the southern kingdom of Israel, we're looking at a guy named Uzziah. Uzziah was a pretty awesome king. He accomplished much for the kingdom of Judah. He did a lot, as we will see. Uh, The people loved him. It says his name was on everyone's lips. They were like, yo, Uzziah's the man. He's a powerful king. He really changed the dynamic of Judah. But what we're going to see today is he got filled with pride. Powerful, amazing, accomplished much, but yet he began to believe that stuff about himself. And it, it led to his pride. It led to his downfall. During his uh, reign, we'll put this up, Uzziah, we see the prophet Isaiah was primarily in the southern kingdom. He was around during this time. Isaiah was a prophet for a long time, so he covered quite a few kings. You had Hosea, remember in the north with Uzziah. You have Jotham, his son. You have Isaiah and Micah. Ahaz, his grandson. You have Isaiah and Micah. Hezekiah, a really good king we'll get to in a couple weeks. Uh, Under Hezekiah, you have Isaiah, Micah, Nahum, possibly others. The reason why I put this up here is um, maybe you look at the Old Testament and you're like, again, I struggle with what prophet went to the north or south, who was alive during which king. I hope this was somewhat helpful. This is the nerd out stuff I get excited about because I'm like, maybe they'll find this interesting too, but maybe not. I don't know. Um, But I like this. I want you to see the big picture of what is going on. So you have a guy named Uzziah. During his reign, towards the end, Isaiah shows up on the scene. Isaiah was ministering a little bit during that time, but he met really the Lord during Uzziah's reign or the end of his reign. And then you also see different uh, prophet, prophets as well. So here's why I'm, I'm sure all this. Today, um, what we're going to see now from here on out, 2 Kings, the last half, and 2 Chronicles start to do this. They start to come together. So we're most likely going to be jumping from 2 Kings to 2 Chronicles from here on out. Because Chronicles actually gives us more details of what happened a lot of times. Um, And my hope is for us to kind of get those details. Like, there's so many amazing points in the details. So we'll spend more time in 2 Chronicles. We're going to just read, like, the Spark Notes version, which is in 2 Kings 15. We'll read that uh, briefly for those. I don't know if Spark Notes is around. That was my generation. But we're going to read the short version, 2 Kings 15, right now. Um, And then we'll look at the 2 Chronicles version. Here's the idea today. If you're like, why are we doing this? What's, what, are we, what are we learning? What's the point of this? Um, the title today is Prosperity and Pride. Prosperity and Pride. He has one of the most prosperous kingdoms up, in, up until this point, outside of King David. One of the most prosperous kingdoms. He gets filled with pride. It leads to his downfall. Um, my hope in studying this today is just like, Jesus, what does it you want to do? And the only thing is like, okay, there's pride. The Lord wants to deal with, with me, with us, with our community. So let's do that. 2 Kings 15, why don't we read and then we'll pray. 2 Kings 15 verse 1. It says, in the 27th year of Jeroboam, that's Jeroboam II, king of Israel, Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, began to reign. Azariah is Uzziah. Everyone say Azariah. Azariah. Say Uzziah. Uzziah. Same guy. We'll talk about that. He was 16, 16 years old when he began to reign. Oh my goodness. It's terrifying. And he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jecoliah of Jerusalem. 
And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Nevertheless, everyone said, nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and made offerings on high places. And the Lord touched the king so that he was a leper to the day of his death. And he lived in a separate house. And Jotham, the king's son, was over the household, governing the people of the land. Jotham was a good king. I feel like I'm saying his name with a lisp. Jotham, sorry. Um, now the rest of the acts of Azariah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Azariah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David. And Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. If you want, please turn to 2 Chronicles 26. We're going to spend more time in this section. The idea uh, for us is to understand the details. I find this fascinating, by the way. In 1931, archaeologists actually found an inscription of Azariah or Uzziah um, on a tomb. Um, Here's what it said on the tomb. It says, to here was brought the bones of Uzziah, king of Judah, do not open. I don't know if you have a picture of that plaque. That was found in, like I said, 1931. It was fascinating because they found this at like the foot area of the Mount of of Olives, which was actually separate from where the kings of of Judah were buried because he was a leper. Um, So it actually makes sense. I think they found his tomb. This is a historical guy. The Bible's real. We understand that. Um, And we're going to look at that. All right, 2 Chronicles 26. We'll read through that after I pray. Can we pray? Let's do that. Father, we just want to say thank you. Thank you that we get to just come here on a Sunday, open up your word. God, that these stories are not just stories. It's not just things that happened for some people back then. But Lord, they are revealing to us greater truths of who you are, of how you work, of Lord, of what you want from us. God, I ask that we would have ears to hear, that we would learn, that we look at the story of Uzziah, and that Jesus, um, we would see the, the beauty and the good choices he made, that we learn from the poor choices, that Jesus, you'd accomplish much in us. Holy Spirit, have your way. Let it be so much more again than just a Bible study. Father, I just ask, what is it you want to do in me and in us? How can you use this, Lord, please use this, to make us more like your son, Jesus? And we just want to thank you and praise you in your name. Amen. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He says, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. I think this is very true. If you're a parent, you know this, but it's weird how like all the issues in our home, the root of all of it guaranteed is pride. On my end, on our kid's end, if you've ever tried to make your kids apologize, it's like asking them to climb Mount Everest. It's like, hey, you need to apologize to your sister. And it's like, <laughs> like you sneeze? Like, what was that? Like, I bless you, but apologize. And then like, you just go, I'm sorry. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's all over again. Like, it's awful. You realize like in them, in the heart of a child, in the heart of me, as a, you know, and why I get frustrated sometimes, it's like, why well, I deserve better than this, or I'm, don't you know who I am? It's like terrible. Everything, everything I think is like it's just a root. Like every sin is a root of, is the, has the root of pride. I mean, you see this play out in so many ways. And it's funny, pride is sneaky. Like pride is sneaky. You think, oh, I'm not like that arrogant person I was in high school, but just pride reveals itself in different ways at different times. There's like that false humility pride. Like, no, no, that's not me. Tell me more. Um, I love it because 
my, 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 one of my best friends in high school, his dad would always like tell us a story and then he'd be like, that's enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? <laughs> and he'd jokingly say that, but I, I understood like that's kind of what it is sometimes. Like, no, 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 but tell me more, please. And it's weird how pride just shows up. It's funny, even before church today, you know, I, I don't know, I do like, I didn't even say a word. I look at my wife and I kind of like this. Basically, she, she knows what that means. Like, can I leave the house in this outfit? I kind of like her like, and she's like, oh, Christmas in July, huh? And I'm like, what? She's like, I just, you know, sweater in the summer. I'm like, it's not a sweater. It's like a long sleeve thing. Um, it's one of those things I'm like, it's funny that one, like I, I need that pride of like being, affir- like I need to be affirmed. And then she hurt my pride. And my, it's just funny how pride just plays out in so many ways. And we know this. I mean, practically speaking, it, it's, a, it's a bizarre, it's ironic. We, not we, but many people call this month Pride Month. And it's boasted like pride. And I, I just find it fascinating because scripture has nothing positive to say about the idea of pride. There's just pride. That's what it says in Proverbs 16. You know this. He says, pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. There's nothing positive when it comes to the idea of pride. It's like, no, pride is the one thing that keeps you out. Remember, what does it say? God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The kingdom of heaven is different than the kingdom of man. It's the kingdom of man is exalt yourself, make yourself known. You got to sell yourself on social media. You got to come on, take pride in who you are. The kingdom of heaven is like, no, no, you lower yourself, you'll be exalted. It's just so different. It's so counter. He goes, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit or an arrogant spirit before a fall. It is weird when you see like someone arrogant and then like they fall and you're like, I knew that was coming. Like you kind of want it. It's weird. It's bad. It's wrong. I don't know. High school, me, obviously, this is a stupid story, but I just remember with my friends, we would, every day my senior year, we'd play disc golf, basically. We'd go to this little park. I got off school at my senior year at 11.35 a.m. Amazing. Done with school at 11.35 a.m. We'd go to this little park, play disc golf. Southern California, it's very hilly and you could throw it high and go low and there's trees. It was beautiful. And for me, this was like the saddest day, like the peak athleticism for me, you know, and everyone else, you know, did like, I don't know, they played video games. I'm like, I played basketball. So here's the idea. Uh, I remember one of my buddies got a Frisbee stuck in a tree. It was high. We tried shaking the tree. We couldn't get it. I'm like, guys, guys, I got this. I jump, grab the branch. I'm like, <laughs> you couldn't grab this? You know, I start shaking the branch. And as I'm shaking, I just hear this <laughs> fall, land on my back, land on a root. Like the, the giant branch is on my chest. I'm on a root. I couldn't breathe for like a good four minutes. Just like, get, 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 get. And it, I mean, you know, with your friends, they were just having, they were laughing so hard. They're like, oh, Mr. Basketball player wants to show off. McKill me, you know, on the ground. Other disc golfers are just laughing and point. It was awful. And I, I'm like, oh, I deserve this. I deserve this bad. Like, you know, again, in my mind, I'm like, oh, let me show them how to do this. And again, it's funny when you see some of those situations happen all the time. Whenever you see someone very arrogant or walking that way, you're like, gosh, they need to fall. They need to have that. Like, it's, it's weird how we see that there's something within human nature when you see someone who's very humble and like no no like, and truly humble it's like you want them to get the attention i had a coworker who was who would always do all of the work in so many amazing ways and he never got the attention and i remember like you were just longing for the day to be like and like he didn't even want the attention you're like bro you did that and like from the stage this person got celebrated he's like it's okay to god be the glory i'm like stop it i'm like you know you need the glory he's like you know he truly was like a humble guy and it was so, when you see like humility you want to exalt that and scriptures talk about that god humbles the exalted and he exalts the humble and there's just something in which the way, this is the way in which god works and here's this guy named uzziah or azariah this guy is literally the most prosperous king in Israel outside of David up until this point. Um, so when I say Israel, the most prosperous king in Judah. I mean, radically transformed the southern kingdom, made them like a military power. He was, he was an incredible guy. And here's what I want to see. There's some things, there's some positive things that you and I can learn from Uzziah. He did some things really well, and then he did some things poorly. 
and it was really his pride and his ego. When you read 2 Kings 15, you're like, what? It just seems weird. He gets struck with leprosy. What did he do that was wrong? The high places. 2 Chronicles 26 shines a lot more light on the details of what happened. So we're in 2 Chronicles 26. Here's how we're going to break through the text today. Number one is this. Uh, we're going to look at prosperity. Number two is pride. Number three is punishment. Prosperity, pride, punishment. Let's read 2 Chronicles 26, verse 1. We're going to see a lot more details of what happens with Uzziah. You guys ready? This to me is like mm, the good story. 2 Chronicles 26, verse 1. It says this. <clears throat> And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, this is Azariah, same guy, who was 16 years old and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. Amaziah got taken into captivity in Israel, from Israel, in chapter 14, because of his pride. That his, he's following the footsteps of his father, basically. So he, he's made king at 16. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah. After the king slept with his fathers, uh, it says, so talking about Amaziah, Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He had set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, not the same Zechariah, the book Zechariah, different guy, this is the priest, who instructed him in the fear of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Hear that again. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Verse 6. It says, he went out and made war against the Philistines and broke through the wall of Gath and the wall of Jab Jabna and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities in the territory of Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbal and against the Munites. I can't say, I love the Old Testament. Uh, the Ammonites uh, paid tribute to Uzziah. And his fame spread even to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. Verse 9. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, and at the valley gate, and at the angel, or at the angle, and fortified them. And he built towers in the wilderness and cut out many cisterns, for he had large herds, both in Shephelah. Uh, and in the plain, and he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved, it says he loved the soil. He's a builder. He's a farmer. Moreover, verse 11, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war in divisions according to the numbers in the muster made by Jael, the secretary of Messiah, the officer, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders. The whole number of the heads of fathers, uh, houses of mighty men of valor, was 2,600. Under the command was an army of 307,500 who would make war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. And Uzziah prepared for all the army shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and stones for slinging, slinging. In Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. This is some of the most detailed uh, description of a kingdom that we have in the Old Testament. So Uzziah, man, he radically changed Judah. He changed their economy. He changed their military. I mean, he was a prosperous king in basically every single way. Uh, a couple things to point out. Azariah, his name, by the way, it means Jehovah has helped. 
That's what Azariah means. Uh, Uzziah means Jehovah is strength. There's a couple ideas. Why is he called Azariah in Kings? Why is he called Uzziah in Chronicles? The idea might be before at 16, like he was known as Azariah. Once he became king, maybe he became Uzziah. Very similar root words. The Lord has helped or the Lord is strength. And that just really defines his time in power. Now, I want to point this out because 2 Kings 15 says it this way. So I'll put the verse up here. 2 Kings 15 says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. Okay, a couple things here. It actually says the exact same thing about his dad in 2 Kings 14 in the exact same way. Put the verse up here so you can kind of see this. Just want you to kind of get this. It says, And he, Amaziah, his dad, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not like his father David. He did all things as Joash, his father, had done, but the high places were not removed, and the people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. Why am I pointing this out really quick? Um, Uzziah was a prosperous king. He was a good king in many ways, like his dad. Uh, if you saw it there, I kind of could put mix because they started off strong and didn't end well. They were good, but they left the high places. The reason why I'm pointing this out is it's fascinating. Here's Azariah or Uzziah following in his father's footsteps. It's like, man, you're a good king, but they both had the same problem. They both did not remove the high places. Uh, that's where people would go. If you know this in Israel and Rome, wherever you go, in Greece, if you see a mountain or hill, there most likely at one point in time was some sort of temple to some Greek god, to some Roman god, to some a pagan god. Any high place, there was usually some sort of sacrifice or offering that was made. He left those up there. Um, one of those things for me, as I read this, I'm like, oh, Lord, I have to be aware of like, my sin. Your kids really do catch a lot more, right? We've, we've heard the saying, like, a lot more is caught than taught. Here's Uzziah. Here's Azariah. He's like his dad, it says. He, he did good, but he didn't remove the high places. For me, this is a sobering thought. I'm like, oh, Lord. Like, I know that a lot of is seen at home and repeated. One, it's like a wake-up call for me. Two, I want to point this out because it says it so strongly. It says he was a good king. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But what does it say? What's the word? He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The next word is nevertheless. Let that not be a word that defines your life or my life. It's a really terrifying thing when you read it like, man, this person was awesome. They love God. They serve God. They did what was right. Nevertheless. Or it's that, but... It's one of those things that as you read the Old Testament and you come across stories like this, I do want that word and I want this idea to sink in a little bit more of like, oh, Lord, help me not do right in so many areas, but in just one area. Just go, well, I'm kind of winning over here. What's the big deal about this thing over here? That is so dangerous. <laughs> I feel like this is like seen in like silly ways, like we're like old school mafia movies. It's like, so what? I steal and kill people. I'm good to my mother. And you're like, what? That does not justify. But like we do that. We do that too. We're like, so what? Like, I'm doing so good in all these areas, just this one area. I didn't remove the high places. We're going to read later in 2 Kings and in Chronicles about a guy named Hezekiah, Josiah. They basically tear down the high places. The reason why this word high, it's used so often. God's like, you did so good, but you just let sin remain in your camp. You just entertained it too much. Even if you didn't participate in offering on the high places, why did you allow it? It wasn't the sin of commission, it was the sin of omission. If you know the difference, commission, like the sins he committed, no. It was the sins like he omitted, this, the things he didn't do that he should have done. God cares about both. He's like, I don't just care about the sins of commission that you're personally committing, but it's those omission things. Like you knew what to do. You knew to tear down those high places. And I, I, the reason why I'm pointing this out, because I do feel like this is what, like the start of it, and it creeps into his pride and ego. It's like, so what? I'm crushing it in every other area of life. 
the dangerous thing to me sometimes when I sit down with people who like, they love Jesus, they love God, they're pursuing him, and they're like, they're truly crushing it. Nevertheless, there's like this one thing, and they're like, what's the big deal? It's just one little thing. And it's like, just be, we know what Jesus, like a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Beware, he says, of the sins of the Pharisees. Why? It's like, it's a small thing, but it spreads so quickly. Church, if there's a wake-up call for us when it comes to Uzziah, awesome, man. He did, he did so, he crushed it. Nevertheless, that's one of those things, like, there's too many people I love dearly who've walked with the Lord for years, decades. Nevertheless, it's one of the most sobering, like, lines you can come across. It's like, oh, let that not be my history, my future. Let that be yours. Like, Lord, I'm going to fight. I don't want it just to be good in 90%. Like, I want to offer it all. All of it, Jesus, is yours. Nevertheless, he says. Now, look at verse 5. Verse 5 is fascinating. In 2 Chronicles 26.5, it says, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. I'm sure you guys saw that. But how powerful is that phrase? As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Unbelievable. As long as Uzziah was like, God, I'm pursuing you. You're the true king. I might be the king in name, but you're the true king. As long as he sought the Lord. So we know this, obviously, he sought the Lord. And as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Now, maybe with your New Testament framework like me, you struggle with these kind of verses. You're like, hold on, Josiah. Aren't we saved by grace? Yes. Doesn't the Christian life function out of grace? Like everything is by God's grace? Absolutely. And God cares about what we do and what we seek. Yes, it's by grace we've been saved through faith, not of works. We cannot boast in the things we've done. But there is something fascinating, like throughout the scriptures, this idea of as you, as you seek the Lord, God rewards that. God, it says, is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, Hebrews 11 says, right? So God actually does reward those who diligently seek him. God does care about what you and I do. It, there's verses like this. Another good king actually in Israel's history was Asa. Asa was a really good king. It says this about him as well. It says, the Lord is with you. Listen, this guy's speaking to Asa. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. The reason why I'm bringing this up is there are verses like this in the Old Testament. We go, as long as he sought the Lord, the Lord made him prosper. If you're with him, he's with you. There is this idea as well in the New Testament. James 4.8, it says, draw near to God and what? And he will draw near to you. Listen, I will say this. Obviously, I want to function and live in just God's economy of grace. I'm so thankful for grace. I'm so thankful it has nothing to do with my good works. I'm boasting in the works of Jesus. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. I'm so thankful for the grace of God that radically changes everything. But that is not a get-out-of-jail-free card from pursuing the heart of Jesus, pursuing the heart of God. Listen, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. When people are like, I feel far from God or God's far from me, I'm like, just draw near. He promises he will draw near back to you. As long as you are with him, it says he's with you. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Uh, wrote it out this way. Prosperity from God, and this might frustrate you, but let's hear me out. Prosperity from God accompanies the pursuit of God. That is what he's saying. As long as he sought the Lord, the Lord made him prosper. Prosperity from God accompanies the pursuit of God. I am not saying that life will have health and wealth and all those things. I'm saying it's deeper and more. You can have all the money in the world and still not be satisfied. You can have the biggest house and not have a true home. Like we know that. I'm saying there is something as long as you seek the Lord, as long as you put him first, as you seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, it's true how that, that all those other things will be added unto you. All those things just fall into place. But this is what it says about him. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. What a beautiful thought, church. Seek the Lord while he may be found. 
That's the invitation we have from Isaiah. That's the invitation we have from Scripture. Seek the Lord while he may be found. God, just watch God pour out his favor. You might not, not everything outwardly will look great, but you go, things could be falling apart, but I have the favor of God in my life. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Or like, if there's one thing I want for my kids, I want for our church, it's like, just seek the Lord. In every area, at every moment, seek the Lord. Like, seek him. Draw near. He will draw near to you. These are the promises of God. This is how God works. As long as you're with him, he says to Asa, he is with you. This is just how God works so often. Now, I kind of want to fast forward a few things here. If you read verse 6 through, uh, like, 15, it names a few things he does. So I'll put it up here this way. You guys see the three points. He has victory. He has victory over the Philistines. He has victory over the enemies. He has victory. Uh, We see this. He has the ability to bear fruit. He's planting. There's a harvest. He loved the soil, it says. He's a farmer. He's bearing fruit. The third thing is he was skilled with the weaponry of warfare. By the way, this is cool. When I look at this, it's defining his life. As long as you are seeking the Lord, someone who's close to God, let me say this. 1 John 5, 4 says, we have victory in this world through our faith in Jesus. We have victory. You have victory over your enemy. You have victory over your sin, your flesh. Is if you seek the Lord, I think these are the byproducts. This is what I'm trying to get at. 6 through 15. You seek the Lord. 1 John 5, you have victory. You seek the Lord, you will bear fruit. He bore fruit in a barren land of Judah. But yet this guy bore fruit. As long as he sought the Lord, he's not bearing fruit. He also, notice how he, he has archers and he's throwing stones and he's uh, building up the weaponry. And this idea of Paul saying this in Ephesians 6. He's like, put on the whole armor of God. You know, take up the sword of the spirit, the helmet of salvation. There's like this idea of weaponry and being skilled at warfare. I will say this, like, so the way I'm kind of playing this out is, as long as he was close to the Lord, he had victory, he bore fruit, he was skilled in warfare. What a beautiful definition of a Christian following Jesus. Listen, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, it doesn't mean it's going to be perfect, but you will bear fruit. Abide in Jesus and you will bear fruit. Seek the Lord. This, this is the idea that accompanies. So you see his prosperity is on another level. However, verse 16 is what I want to focus on. Because, I mean, this guy was very unique. His fame spread apart the whole, all of the land. It actually says it this way, uh, uh, verse 15. So his, Uzziah, his fame spread far. I mean, his name was on everyone's lips, Uzziah. I want to fast forward just a second. If you guys remember this, this is powerful to me. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, one of the most uh, famous stories, I think, in the Old Testament. Isaiah 6, 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, what did ha- happened? I saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up. Isaiah was a prophet during the reign of Uzziah. The first five chapters, Isaiah was going, woe is you, woe is you. He was calling out all these kingdoms. He was saying, woe is this kingdom, woe is that kingdom. In Isaiah 6, Uzziah dies. He's in the temple, Isaiah. He see, remember, Judah had the temple. He's in the temple. He sees the Lord high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. And what does Isaiah say? Woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. You see, he's like, woe is you, woe is you, woe is you. Isaiah sees the Lord in the temple and goes, woe is me. But when did Isaiah see the Lord? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This is fascinating because everyone's going, Uzziah is the man. Look at Judah's crushing. We have the best and healthiest economy. We have a strong military. Like Uzziah has crushed it. It was when he died, Isaiah saw the Lord. I do think sometimes there are certain things in our lives that can take the throne of Jesus. And in a sense, those things need to die or come off that throne in order for us to see Jesus in his rightful place. 
I don't want for any follower of Jesus to have someone else or something else on the throne of your life or your heart. Sometimes those things need to die for us to see the Lord. I think that's like maybe we elevate a person or a thought or ideology, whatever it might be. Those things need to get off that throne. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah's like, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. It's no longer about his name on all of our lips. It's about the Lord's name on our lips. And I just love like that Uzziah story, Isaiah. It's just fascinating to me. But everyone loves Uzziah. Everyone's celebrating Uzziah. They're like, this is the man. So look at verse 16. What happens? His name's on everyone's lips. Verse uh, 16, we'll pick it back up. It says, but, everyone say, but. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. Imagine that. 80 guys walk in. And they withstood King Uzziah. Good for them. And they said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. But he says, go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord. Before we read his response, I want you to see this. It says, but when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. I honestly had to like sit with that phrase, and I want to just put it up here, sit with that phrase for a second. But when he grew strong, he grew strong, then he grew proud, and it led to his destruction. I, I really think that this is something we all have to be aware of. There are moments in, in my life, your life, you might say, wow, like this is working out. Or maybe you've worked for decades, and you're like, things are starting to happen. Things are starting to like build up. And you can believe the lie that maybe you did it. Look what I've done. People, you walk in a room and you get honor, respect. Yeah, I deserve that honor. It's so dangerous when you grow strong. Be very careful. Know that soon after you can be also, it's very easy to be filled with pride. But when he grew strong, he was filled with pride and it led to his destruction. It's one of those things I'm like, oh no. Uzziah started to believe the lie of the praises of the people. One of the most dangerous things you can do is actually believe the praises of the people. Like, don't, don't believe that. You might be your coworkers, it might be your boss, it might be your friends, it might be people below you, you're like people that work for you. And they say, you're the best, and then you start to believe that. That is one of the most dangerous things that can happen in anyone's lives, is that you actually begin to measure and look and compare and say, you know what, I actually have accomplished a lot in my life. I have done a lot. Wow. I do kind of, that is such a dangerous place to be. And here's why I want to point this out. Because if you look at the first 15 verses, three times, Scripture's trying to be really clear. We'll put the verses up here. It's fascinating to me. It says what in verse 5? God made him prosper. Verse 7, God helped him against the Philistines and the Arabians. Verse 15, and his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped. <laughs> like, couldn't be, like, he had so much help. God made him prosper. God gave him victory of his enemies. But he was going, but look, I'm the one, like, again, the first 15 verses. I'm building this army. I'm building these towers. I'm planting vineyards. Look, like, look at all that I'm doing. But he lost sight that it was God who was doing it. Here's why this is important. Paul, to me, says it the best and most humorously, I think, in the scriptures. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Uh, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. I love this. Paul's like, I am what I am by the grace of God. Anything I have in my life is by the grace of God. I've worked harder than all of you. <laughs> but even that was the grace of God. Only Paul could say that. No one else can say that. Paul's like, I've worked harder than all of them, yet not I. Even that work, he's saying. Even that work, yet not I, the grace of God that was in me. You know, it's funny because you can begin to believe like, no, no, the breath in your lungs, the strength to get out of bed, the personality, how, and anything that has brought you maybe success, quote unquote, 
everything is a gift from God. It's crazy how we can almost believe, like, no, no, I've worked for that. I've built, look what I've built. And whenever you start to see that in people's hearts, you're like, oh, this is the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of the downfall. They're starting to think it's them. They're starting to think they don't need God. They're starting to think that is me. Look what I've done. Can I tell you that that is such a, one of the things we have, I have to fight against is like everything in my life is a beautiful gift of God and it is the grace of God. Yes, I sought the Lord. Yeah, he made me prosper though. He, but it's still him. I worked harder than you all, Paul says. But that, even that work, that wasn't I. That's the grace of God. This is fat. He's just basically saying everything good in my life, I am what I am by the grace of God. I've worked hard, but even that's grace. It's like this grace sandwich. Grace, work, grace. He's like, it's grace. I worked, but it's grace. It's like, it's just, you have to see it's just grace. It's grace upon grace upon grace. Church, this is one of the best places you can be in. It's like, if you look at your life and go, yeah, nothing I have in my life makes sense. God is so good. Whether you have a lot or a little, Paul, I've learned in all things to be content. God is so good. I don't deserve any of this. Anything I have in my life, that's anything that in my life that might appear to be good, it's God. That has to be the mindset. That has to be the focus. It's when he grew strong, he also grew proud, which led to his destruction. Here's what I want to say. Basically, what we see in verse 1 through 15, you guys, is his resume. His resume is legit. You don't see this for a lot of kings. I mean, this is, this is a, it's giving you numbers. It's giving you details. They're inventing things. They're doing new military tactics. Like, this is unbelievable. His resume is unlike any resume truly from any other king that we see so far to this point. He has an absolutely insane resume, and yet it means nothing. This reminds me of another resume that we see in the New Testament. Do you guys remember Paul in Philippians 3? Paul gave his resume, and I, I have to put this up because I think we live in a resume-based culture. You know, if you've ever read through resumes, and it's weird to write a resume, you're like, look what I've done. And then I've, you, you feel, come on, Chris, you know, even writing a resume is weird. You're like, I don't like this. I'm like boasting what I've done. It's really, it's a weird, bizarre thing. But I love what Paul does in Philippians 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, here's what Paul says. I love Paul. Paul says, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. <laughs> but Paul's great. He goes, and he's obviously being facetious. He, I love it. He says, uh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, only one of 6,000, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. Paul's like, yo, look at my resume. He goes, basically why he's bringing up his race and his culture. He's like, I'm racially pure. I'm culturally pure. I'm a Jew. I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I came from the tribe of Benjamin, the first king, right, Saul? Like, look at me. He's basically bo- boasting in everything about him. A Pharisee, one of 6,000. Uh, you want to talk about zeal for God? Persecuted the church. Keeping the law? <laughs> Perfect. Paul's resume, truly, truly, if you're looking at it in the New, Old, New Testament, you go, this guy's unbelievable. This is why he persecuted the church with such fervor. He's like, wait, you're boasting in this guy, Jesus, and his death and resurrection. You're saying it's not about me or us keeping the law. It's about what this guy has done for you. I'm going to end that because I want to feel, I want my righteousness to be seen. I want people to know my resume. I'm Paul or Saul at the time, but I'm this guy. Look at all that I've done. The reason why I'm saying this is because there is a temptation for all of us, all of us as followers of Jesus to boast in our resume. There's a temptation to be like, look what I've done. Look at who I am or look at who I was. Even if you got saved and you've been walking with Jesus 20, 30 years, you can begin to fall into the trap of like, yeah, it's the grace of Jesus, but I kind of kick butt. It's very easy to fall into the trap and believe the lie that maybe you did it. Maybe it wasn't the grace of God. Paul had this resume, and I love this. Let me just put it this way. Your resume will never be good enough. And that is part of the good news of Jesus. Can I tell you? Your resume, as accomplished as you might be, will never be good enough. There's something actually beautiful about that and freeing about that. 
to say, you know what? I don't need to say, hey, God. Like, sometimes I hear Christians ask the question, like, what happens when you die and stand before God, and God says to you, why should I let you into my kingdom? Right? And the only answer is the grace of Jesus. Like, there's no, there's no resume you could give that God's like, I actually haven't seen this kind of a resume. There's nothing. There's, like, nothing that will stand out. Just saying, I have the righteousness of Jesus applied to my account because Jesus Christ took my place, took my sin, took my filth, took my shame. By his stripes, I'm healed. I mean, there's nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's the only reason why I can be here. The, the point is, your resume will never be good enough. But here's the problem. All of us, in some type, all of us uh, use some type of resume by which we seek to face the world, ourselves, and God. Meaning, all of us want to go, hey, look what I've done. You want to get in those conversations with people. You want to say, oh, you've done that? Well, I've also done that. We all want to like, find a way to justify our existence, our being. And here's the point. The point is, we ha- there, there's nothing that will be sufficient. We have to look and say, look at Jesus' resume, who he is, what he's done. He gets the glory. He gets the credit. He gets the praise. It's so fun. To, when you see people who truly believe this and lean into this, you know, being around different people in my life, I would see just some people who did some amazing things. People come up to them and say, I'm just so thankful for you, your ministry, blah, blah, they're doing this, this person. You amaze me. You have no idea how much. And like genuinely be like, that. they used to say, to God be the glory. And it's not in like this like way they're like, no, no, tell me more. It's like truly anything good you've experienced out of my life, God gets the glory. Because I'm a filthy, wretched sinner and how dare I get the glory? Anyone who's ever participated in trying to share in God's glory didn't really end well. You see that in the book of Acts? You see that in Leviticus 9 and 10? Once God's glory comes down and man goes, I want to participate in this glory. It's Herod. He wanted to participate in the glory of God. Once you see that, you just see death. God, only you get the glory. There's this idea of like, your pride, your ego will lead to your death. Or you die to yourself. God gets the glory. That will lead to your life. It's just fascinating how we see his pride led him down this path. Here's why I'm saying this. Paul gives his resume but notice he says right after that, verse 7, he says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. The things that once had gain, they're now actually loss. The things I once valued, I once valued these things, these things I fought for and pursued after, that's just loss to me, man. Like, that's nothing. That's nothing. It's like the things I thought would make me satisfied, the things I thought that would bring me value, my resume, what I've done, those things I counted as gain, that's just loss to me now. That is negative. It's like he's using accounting language. I thought this, in a, like this was a plus or in the green. It's, it's red. It's, I don't know if that's the right terminology because I don't know accounting. But it's like, he's like, I thought this was the thing, man, but it was nothing for me. I'll read verse 8. He says this, Yet indeed I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Say amen. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He goes, all the things I once valued, I count them as rubbish. It's this word, it's this very strong word, but it's more than dung. It's literally, it was a swear word in their day. He's like, I count this as garbage, disgusting. The things I once fought for and valued mean absolutely nothing. Why? I just want to gain Christ. I just want Jesus. It's a powerful day, okay, when you go from, as a Christian, going, I want to be in heaven, to going from that to, I want to be with Jesus, I think for a lot of my Christian life, it's like, I don't want to go to hell, so I want to go to heaven. But then there comes a day you get to know Jesus, and you're like, I actually just want more of him. And that's a very sweet thing when like, you can transition from 
maybe you think God is just some boy, then you're like going to send you to hell. We totally misunderstand God and his economy and how he works. It, there's something so beautiful when you go from, it's not about how can I get out of hell, it's just how can I be with the most loving, beautiful person in the universe for all of eternity. It's not like how can I avoid pain and suffering. How can I be with a person who's, there's no one better. There's no one, there's no, you know, I, I've used this quote before, but it's powerful. Samuel, Samuel Rutherford said, if I could go to heaven and Christ was not there, that would be hell to me. But if I were to go to hell and Christ was there, that would be heaven to me. And you, we, we, maybe you go, that doesn't make sense. No, he's going, Jesus is heaven. Jesus is paradise. It's not about a place, it's about a person. And Paul is saying, I once sought all these accolades, that's nothing. I just want to gain Jesus. He says the phrase, that I may know him, that I may be found in him. These phrases he's using, it's like, I just want to know him. I want to be found in him. Like, where's Paul? Oh, he's in Jesus. Like, I just want to know, like, he's with Jesus. He's loving on Jesus. He's around Jesus. I just want to know him, be found in him. He goes, I just want to be with him. You see, the goal of Christianity is not how can I get out of hell and get into heaven. The goal of Christianity is be with the Christ, be with Jesus. Just be with him. Boast in his resume. Paul's like, my resume is rubbish. Jesus' resume, the righteousness in which he lives has now been applied to my, that's my resume? My resume that I submit, terrible? His resume? God's like, this is now your resume. Like, Jesus' righteousness, the life he lived is now applied to my count? He goes, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna boast in that. That's what I fight for. That's what I want. I wanna be, I wanna be found in him. I don't, I don't want, when I stand before God, I do not want my resume standing before God. Trust me. You don't want that. I want Jesus' resume. Oh, yeah, here's his resume. Here's what he's done. It's been applied to my account. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for taking my place. This is the problem, though. Uzziah started to love his resume. It's when he grew strong, he grew proud. He's like, yeah, my resume is pretty amazing. And it would, by any definition, what Uzziah did is absolutely insane. But you must count your resume, his resume. It must be as filthy rags. It must be as rubbish. It must be, this is the most pointless things I want his. I love what J.I. Packer said. J.I. Packer says, once you come, become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Once you realize why you're here, why you're really here, just to know God. That's why you're here. John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you and your son whom you sent. This is it. What is the point of life? That you might know God and his son, Jesus. Why are you here? You are here to know Jesus, to just know him, to walk humbly with your God, to know him, to lift him up, to elevate the person of Jesus. He is preeminent. He's over all. This is the idea, and this is the problem. Uzziah started to boast in his resume. We have to, I have to look at that. Okay, here's what he did wrong, and we'll move on. It says, he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. Why? He entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So this is where he went wrong. So here's number three, his punishment. So Uzziah, prosperous, filled with pride. We saw verse 16, 18. Pick up in verse 19. Let's read. Verse 19. What happens? So they said, hey, you're not in here. I love it. They brought 80 priests, probably really weak guys who couldn't fight, but I love it, right? These 80 priests go in the temple after him like, yo, you can't be here. All right, verse 19. Then Uzziah was angry. <laughs> Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. That's a priestly duty. And when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, notice how it goes to his, that name. And Azariah, the chief priest, or sorry, that's the priest, and all, looked at him and behold, he was leprous in his forehead and they rushed him out quickly. And he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. 
And being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Let me explain something really quickly and simply. Um, The king could never be priest. A prophet could never become a priest. A priest could become a prophet. Okay, you have David who's a king and a prophet, King David. He's a king, he's a prophet. Uh, You have Ezekiel who's a priest, right, and a prophet. But that's only because he was first a priest. There's certain people in scriptures, but a prophet could never become a priest. A king could never become a priest. A priest could become a prophet. I hope you're not making sense. The idea is this, you're not to mix the two. No prophet can ever be like, I'm a, I'm a prophet of God, now let me go become a priest. No king can say, let me become a priest. There is one priest king in the Old Testament. You guys remember his name? Melchizedek. Yes, Melchizedek. Good job. Melchizedek. He is the king and he is the priest. And he's from Salem. He's the king of peace and the king of righteousness. That's how he's described. If you know in the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is like, hey, can I tell you, Jesus is a priest and a king, but not according to Aaron. Remember, if you're a son of Aaron, you are a Levite, and you could be a priest. Jesus was not, he was a son of Judah. He was not a son of Aaron. How could Jesus be the priest king? The author of Hebrews is arguing and saying, Jesus is not a priest according to Aaron, but he's a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Meaning, there's no genealogy for Melchizedek. We don't know where he came from. We don't know anything about, we just know that he's a priest and a king, and God is like, I honor Melchizedek, Abraham, you're going to tithe to this guy. And it's a beautiful thing that Jesus is a priest and king, but no one could be that outside of Melchizedek and Jesus. Now, here's why I'm bringing this up, because I think this is fascinating. Uzziah is a king. He wants to be a priest. He's a king. He wants to go, look it, I can do anything I want. I'm good in all these ways. God's word doesn't apply to me. It's very interesting um, how pride often leads you to think that God's word does not apply to you. (laughs) That's so dangerous. It leads you to think, that might be for other people, but not for me. Do you know who I am? Mm -mm. It applies to you as well. Okay? Um, Proud people often think God's word doesn't apply to them. I'm sorry, it applies to you. It applies to me. So he goes, no, no, I'm the king. I'm the most prosperous king. I'm going to go be a priest. I'm going to do the duty of a priest. You cannot do that. Here's why. You know what that's communicating? He's basically saying, as a king, I want to be a priest. He's basically saying, I want to be Messiah. I want to be God. I want to be Savior. Because why? There's only one other person who could be a priest and king, and that is the Messiah. Now, just bear with me. There's a prophecy in Zechariah 6.13. There's a prophecy that I thought was so... I remember reading through Zechariah at 18 years old and going, oh my gosh, how do people not know this? I'm sure people knew this, but that's what happens when you're 18. And I love this. Zechariah 6.13, it says this about the Messiah. Listen to this. Yes, he shall build a temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule on his throne. Throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. Huh? He's going to rule on his throne and he's going to be a priest. There's a prophecy saying only the Messiah could be priest and king. Only the Messiah. Uzziah, you're not the Messiah. You're not the Savior. Why is it that so many Christians, myself included, why do we want to have like the messianic effect of like, I'm the Messiah? Like we, we think like, I can fix it. I can, you're not the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. There's one Messiah who can both be priest and king. Zechariah says, and that there will be peace between them both, meaning there'll be betre- peace between both ideas of being priest and king. There's one person who is priest and there's one person who is king. His name is King Jesus. He is the great high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. He's the king. He's the priest. He's the prophet. He fulfills all of the things, and yet he became a leper for us, meaning Jesus was crucified outside of the temple, outside of the city walls. Why? Because he took on sin. So this priest, king, prophet, 
took on my sin and your sin and was excluded in a sense so that you and I could be brought in. But what I love about this idea of the priest and king is Uzziah stopped trying to be something. There's, o- there's only room for one. There's only one priest king, and that is the Messiah. And in church, here's the idea. There's only one person who can be both. His name is Jesus. You could never atone for your sins. You could never be the priest who represents the people. To go. You could never be any of that. You, you couldn't be. I couldn't be. But we have one person who's the king of kings, and he's the priest of priests. His name is Jesus. He will sit on his throne and he will minister. He'll be a priest. And I'm so thankful for Jesus, because here's the thing. There's so many people in this world who think they're the Messiah. There's so many Christians who are hoping for a man-made Messiah, who will be the king and priest. There's only one who will satisfy all, and that his name is Jesus. And this is why we're here. And here's the thing. As we go through the scriptures, as we go through this book, I just want us to fall more in love with Jesus. I want us to say, man, you know what? This Uzziah guy was pretty awesome, but he began to believe the talk about himself, and that's so dangerous. But there's one person who humbled himself. There's one person who is the perfect righteous king who's also our priest, and I want us to go to him and look to him, the best king. Uzziah was a good king, but he makes you long for a better king, and that is Jesus. And here's the thing. I just want to close out with just some worship and praise and just saying, God, thank you. Thank you that you are that king of kings and you're the priest of priests. Thank you that you satisfy all needs. Lord, let me not fall into the trap to believe the stuff about me. Jesus, anything that I have in my life, I am what I am by the grace of God. Everything in my life is because of your grace. And I just want to thank that king. Can we do that? Can we just pray and just end with worship? Father, we just want to say thank you for your son, Jesus, that he is the true Messiah, the one who will sit on his throne and be a priest, the one who ministers to us, the one who makes intercession for us as priest, and yet he's also the king. And Lord, I just want to say thank you. God, I ask that this, that this would not just be, um, again, a Bible study with just some information. Lord, I ask that you would truly be exalted. Jesus, you humbled yourself even to the point of death, the death of the cross. And we just want to say thank you for the cross. Thank you for your grace, your love. Jesus, we would not be here. We would not be anything without you. And God, we just want to boast in your grace and boast in what you've done. And so, um, Lord, even now, we just want to stand in awe and say, Jesus, there's no one like you. Take your rightful place. Take your place on the throne. Let us see you, like Isaiah, high and lifted up. Lord, let us just really fall more in love with you in this process. We ask this, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Let's stand and worship.